Welcome to the Laser Therapy Institute weekly podcast, the world's first podcast about medical laser therapy for healthcare providers. Each week, we discuss the latest research, interviews with experts, and how laser therapy can enhance your practice. Now, here is the founder of LTI and your host, Dr. Jason Roundtree. So we have a different room today. Um, we're actually uh, working on a, a real live studio because uh, we do a lot of recording, not only for the podcast, but for for a lot of things that we do here at LTI for training and coaching. So we're going to be having a, a real place to do this, but in the meantime, we are in a working clinic, and so there are times when we have to uh, move around a little bit. So today we have a new room and, and new problems with the camera, so we've got the backup camera running, and mm-hmm. it's going to work. It is. So thanks for joining us. Um, my name is Dr. Jason Roundtree. I'm the founder of Laser Therapy Institute. I'm a chiropractor and certified medical laser safety officer. And this is Christy, who is a certified laser tech. She is also the VP of content development at LTI, which means she is the final word on all of the online learning courses that our doctors get to take, which means I can blame her for everything. <laughs> no. Um, but uh, she's got a, a wealth of experience and history in building online courses and, uh, and also now in, in laser therapy as well. So thanks for joining me, Christy. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. This is our Laser Therapy Institute podcast. This is targeted at healthcare providers. Of course, if you're not a healthcare provider, you are certainly welcome to stick around. We'll probably say a few words that don't make a lot of sense, um, and that's okay. We're still going to try and make this uh, really friendly to everyone out there. Um, but of course, really, really aiming it at, at other healthcare practitioners in the field. And this is this is probably the second biggest topic uh, when it comes to light therapy that we talk about. I'd say the number one is probably neuropathy, mm-hmm. nerve yeah. pain, right, um, and nerve damage. But this is dementia, mm-hmm. and I think it really hits home for a lot of people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does, and more and more every mm-hmm. year too. Mm-hmm. Um, they they say in this study actually that the number of persons with Alzheimer's disease, which is the most common form of dementia, is expected to increase and escalate dramatically in the coming years with the aging of the baby boom generation. Mm-hmm. In 2019, there were an estimated 5.5 million Americans living with Alzheimer's disease, and that's projected to reach three, uh, 13.8 million by the year 2050. Wow. There's other types of dementia as well, of course, but Alzheimer's most prevalent one that mm-hmm. really gets a lot of attention. You have, of course, Lewy body disease and uh, Parkinson-related dementia as well. Those are certainly mm-hmm. in the same category, but you know, for a lot of people, like you said, Alzheimer's mm-hmm. kind of hits home dementia. Yeah. So uh, the study that we're going to be looking at today as we talk about dementia and light therapy is titled Transcranial Near-Infrared Light Stimulations Improve Cognition in Patients with Dementia. So transcranial meaning through the skin, through the skull, right through the cranium. Near-infrared light, we know that's an invisible type of light that is just past red before you get out to things like radio waves on the electromagnetic spectrum. And then the word stimulations here is, uh, I paused on it, kind of funny because it's an awkward way to put this, but really uh, we need to understand that when we're talking about using light, light is an energy source. It is not just something that you encounter every day that helps you see what you're reading. It is an actual energy source. 
Now, most of the time, your ambient light, you know, like this light in this room, is very, very, very low. It's really got minimal effect. And it's in a visible spectrum in a lot of cases, which means it has really no effect on anything outside the surface of the body. Right. But this near-infrared light does pass through the skin. And, as they say in here, and it's highly even, can pass through the cranium, which is very thick bone. And that just is still so fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. just Passing through bone, it actually does. And it targets what you're targeting. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the really amazing things, um, and it's been well researched and, and proven at this point that that's entirely um, plausible and possible and, and does happen. Uh, so, this word stimulation zone means that this energy, light energy, can stimulate the natural biology, the cells of whatever your target tissue is, which is why the new term for light therapy or laser therapy is photobiomodulation, using light to stimulate the bio biology of the body mm-hmm. so uh, we, we still, still say laser, laser therapy, therapy here at laser therapy institute because it's easier it's, for one. it's easier <laughs> yep it uh it's it's a little bit catchier and in most cases most of most most clinicians are going to be using laser for a very long time and, and leds as well can work just fine for light therapy but um, lasers give a clinician more flexibility and more capability and so that's what we usually see clinicians using is, is actual lasers. Mm-hmm. So that's the title of this is of this uh, study that we're looking at today. It was published in July of 21 in Aging and Disease. Uh, Baylor University hosted this one. Uh, a nice, a nice number of, of researchers on here that put together uh, quite an interesting, uh, fairly large size study in respect to what we normally see with photobiomodulation studies. So I'm going to dive right in. We'll go through what they did and then we'll talk about what it means to you as a clinician here uh, as we go. Sounds good. So they say that light, near infrared light specifically, with LEDs can efficiently penetrate the skin and skull to reach the brain parenchyma. It exerts an anti-inflammatory function and through regulation of beneficial, uh, excuse me, through beneficial regulation of pro and anti-inflammatory cytokines. It also stimulates and promotes synaptogenesis and neurogenesis through activation of brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Um, there's a lot more details here. I won't go into all of them, but just understand that this deposition of energy going into the tissues of the brain stimulates some of these natural mechanisms uh, through the body's own way to do this. So we're not burning or cutting or heating tissue. The heat, if you experience warmth with, with light therapy, the heat's not doing anything. That's not our goal here. The goal is to deliver the, these photons, these little packets of energy, to the target tissues. So, um, if you want to know more about this, definitely look up the study. Again, the title is Transcranial Near-Infrared Light Stimulation to Improve Cognition in Patients with Dementia. And we'll... We'll provide the link in the mm -hmm. podcast notes. Yep. So... Absolutely. And um, the the study was... I I really like this for for a number of reasons. They had a... It was placebo-controlled. They had 57 participants that completed the study. They started with 60, so they only had three dropouts. Wow, impressive. Yeah, those are good numbers. And the three dropouts were unrelated to anything with the actual study. It was other health concerns that had those patients drop out. So that right there, I think, is really pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they took 57 people total that made it through uh, that were in early to mid-stage dementia. So no severe cases, Mm -hmm. early and mid-stage only. Um, and folks that were otherwise healthy, you know, not a lot mm-hmm. of complicating factors. Okay. So, 
Uh, patients were between 50 and 85 years old. Uh, they were evaluated with a pretty standard neuropsychological battery, which included the mini mental state exam uh, that covers orientation, word recall, copying skills, things like that. Uh, ADAS COG, which covers word finding ability, ability to comprehend, word recall. Uh, the clock drawing test. Clock drawing test is a very, very classic uh, test for those with dementia. It's very, very difficult for folks uh, with dementia, um, even early onset dementia, to uh, be able to replicate a you know kind of analog clock mm-hmm. drawing. If you've been in memory care, you've seen this a, a million times. If you're new to it, that clock drawing test can be can re- be really remarkably uh, difficult. So. Uh, they, they also tested uh, number sequences, um, trails A and B testing for visual motor coordination, and then story recall after a 30-minute delay. The nice thing here, too, is they also included findings from the caregivers. Okay. And those who yeah. are caregivers, you know, the mm-hmm. partners of, of folks with dementia, um, have to undergo a lot of, a lot of stress. A lot they of do. Yeah can be wearing on them as well Absolutely. I mean very wearing this study these researchers really took a lot of uh, uh, took a pretty good section of this paper to talk about that and how important it is mm-hmm. for caretakers to be able to have you know kind of more regulated um, mm-hmm. um, less difficult uh, lives themselves as they're trying to care for these dementia patients so they did take this into a, a account including sleep associated findings um, so the caregivers had a daily log and feedback notes, um, and so half of the participants got a sham device that was turned off, mm-hmm. uh, but otherwise completely functional, and then the other half, the, the active arm, got an active hand, uh, it's actually a helmet, I've got a picture over here, I'll show you. It is quite interesting. Um, I have to hide that, there we go. So. This um, this device is something you can look up. You can find the cognitive light. You'll notice on the front there, it actually has two little kind of dangly parts, right? Those fit over the eyes, which I find is really interesting. So you've got this just sits on the head, and then those two pieces kind of fold down into hmm. the eyes. Does it? Pro- it's providing laser. Through the, I mean, I know we talk about eye safety right. with laser therapy. Is it emitting light through it that? It is emitting light, but that's that's the the difference here. This used LEDs okay. instead of lasers. So, because it is non-coherent and non-collimated light, mm-hmm. you know, it's directed in one specific direction, like like lasers are. Mm-hmm. LED light at low enough power densities is safe over the eyes. Okay. So that's what that looks like. Uh, it's not clear to the United States. If you wanna, if you wanna try and find it or whatever, you can. It's a little more than five thousand dollars U.S. Um, so significant investment for people for sure. Um, but I think you're gonna like what they found here. So the treatment was they used that hand, that that headpiece, that helmet. Um, oh, stand by. There we go. They used that that helmet. Uh, twice a day for every day for eight consecutive weeks. Hmm. So that is a lot of treatment. And how long were the treatments? Six minutes a day. Okay. 
or sorry, sorry six, six minutes, minutes twice, twice a day. day. So, so, so totally 12 minutes a day, mm-hmm. um, every single day. The, the great thing with this is that they did it at home. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot more tolerable because you didn't have to go somewhere and get the treatment done. That particular helmet has 12 cranial modules that have um, uh, 1060, it's, it's actually, because it's a LED, it doesn't give you one single wavelength like a laser does. So in this case, uh, it produces somewhere in the 1060 to 1080 nanometers. So a little bit further into the infrared mm-hmm. than we've seen a lot of other studies. Mm-hmm. Total power that the helmet generated was about 15 watts at a power density of 23.1 milliwatts per centimeter squared. Um, so uh, a decent amount of power, but spread out over a large area mm-hmm. so that it was a low enough uh, power density or irradiance mm-hmm. so that it was not uh, overheating or, or um, uncomfortable at all. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, this, this, this helmet's actually been, I guess, in development for a number of years, but we're not seeing it here in the U.S. Uh, yet, where, as far as I know. Where is it being used? The U.K. It was UK. developed uh, in the U.K. and uh, has been studied there. I'm not exactly sure. I wasn't able to figure out if it is actually cleared for use in the U.K. Okay. or if it's all still in the experimental stage. Mm-hmm. So somebody let me know. Drop a comment. Uh, send us an email if you want to info at lasertherapyinstitute.org. Let us know what you know about this particular device. Mm-hmm. Um, again, expensive, and you have to use it a couple times a day every day. But let's talk about the results because yeah. the results are quite impressive. They said that uh, in the active arm only, some patients appreciated longer and more peaceful night sleeps. Duration of sleep increased by one hour on average after the first six to ten days of the treatment. In some patients, recurring nightmares ceased. Patients reported being more energetic, more physically and mentally engaged in daily living. And the caregivers also noted patients had less anxiety and improved mood and energy and better daily routine after about the two to three week mark from beginning treatment. Hmm. Um, That was all not noted. That was not noted by uh, those in the placebo arm. So by either the patients or the caregivers. So a uh, pretty, pretty clear difference there. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of some of the generics. But they say that as we look at the subtests from different individuals, outcomes are even more exciting over only this eight weeks of treatment. One participant with moderate dementia achieved a 75% improvement on the mini mental status exam. Uh, another patient had an 80% improvement in the clock drawing test. Two patients had a 60 and 80% performance improvement in the clock copying tests. Uh, two patients had 12-point and 13-point improvement in logical memory immediate and delayed subtests. And executive function improved by up to 73% in some patients. Verbal learning and memory tests improved by up to 35% as shown in the active verbal learning immediate and delayed tests. So uh, these were all things that were not seen in the sham treated group. So. I think that says quite a bit. Those those are all very significant. Very numbers. significant yes. numbers. Yeah. It does also indicate that people do respond differently. Right. So, and in general, the worse the dementia, the less we would expect. But also, just because someone is in that moderate category doesn't mean they're beyond hope. They can have some very significant advances. And again, this is just over eight weeks. They didn't even start seeing some of the results until sometimes as late as three weeks into treatment. Because we know. You know, a lot of times laser therapy treatments are not immediate. In yes. some cases, depending on the condition, you see significant improvement very mm-hmm. quickly. But sometimes 
in in your clinical experiences, it does take time for more more results. Yes. So eight weeks to see that kind of significant improvement, that's that's amazing. It, it really, really is. is. It really, really is. especially. I mean, they just cleared another drug. FDA just cleared another drug for dementia, um, and it is shown to moderately decrease the speed of decline. Hmm. I mean, I mean, but these guys are reversing it. We're yeah. actually having improvement. We're not yeah. just kind not of decreasing how bad people are getting, yeah. like how fast people are getting bad. Um, and I keep bringing this one up, but Adulone is another drug that was cleared last year. Last year? I believe it was last year. Mm-hmm. It's an IV drug that has to be delivered every month for the rest of the patient's life, and it's not even proven to improve anybody. Wow. And it costs taxpayers mm-hmm. over $50,000 a year to pay for that to be done. So this, this device might be expensive. Uh, a laser therapy device for you in your office might be expensive. Mm-hmm. But the payoff mm-hmm. is huge, potentially huge. Now we don't have long-term follow-up on this. You know, right. um, after the eight-week mark, that was that was really it. Um, but I, I think we're going to be seeing more and more studies that show kind of some long-term effects and, and the ability to maintain these kind of gains in these patients with dementia, and it's going to change people's lives. Yeah. What about some of the protocols? that you've been using, would they translate into um, this? Yes, yes. And again, to emphasize, there are differences from patient to patient. Not every mm-hmm. single patient is going to have an 80% improvement right. uh, on, these, on these tests. Not, and even in this particular study, not every single patient improved in every single category, mm-hmm. right? Even, right? Even with active treatment. Sometimes they only improved in a couple of categories. Mm-hmm. So the takeaways here are that it does work. It just works differently for individual cases. And that's to be expected. It is. That's to be expected. We're all individuals, and mm-hmm. this, this, this disease process is very individualistic. Right. You know, um, even the time from onset to mid-stage dementia can be vastly different from patient mm-hmm. to patient. You can have somebody who goes from completely fine to severe dementia over just a period of months and you have others that it's been going on basically undetected for years before they finally get a diagnosis of like early cognitive impairment or decline mm-hmm. and then years before they're even really in um in uh in what they would really truly call alzheimer's right so you know it's going to vary per patient mm-hmm. and and the comorbidities matter are they diabetic mm-hmm. there are so many different factors so that's, that's, that's your number one takeaway that I'd like you to leave with today is that photobiomodulation does work. Mm-hmm. It does work for these dementia patients. You can't overpromise results. We don't know what the long term looks like as far as maintaining these results. But like they said in this paper, absolutely no side effects, no adverse events. That's amazing for any kind of treatment. I mean, right. name, a, name a medication that doesn't have a side effect or an adverse effect event associated with it. No. I can't. No. Not even ibuprofen. No. You know. Oh, yeah, that kills thousands of people every year. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing where this field is going. It's really exciting to see these papers come out. As a clinician, remember that it does take time to get these kind of results. It does take repetition. Don't shy away from treating somebody because you treated them four times and didn't feel any different. 
you no one expect them to, to right? No. Give, Give it time to work. Give it time and talk to the patient and the caregiver about that too. It's going to take time to see the results. They need to track the results. These patients, caregivers, kept a daily log of not only doing the treatment, but how the patients were sleeping, how their mood was, how they were eating, their daily routine, you know, I mean, normal things like that. They kept track of that in order to be able to go back and see how things have changed because this is a gradual change over these weeks. Mm-hmm. It's notable, it's noticeable, but it does take time. Well, the record keeping is critical mm-hmm. because you can um, have a patient say, oh, I don't feel any different, but you can prove that uh, uh, it, things have changed. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, we actually had a patient just last night who was um, who came in for her, I believe it was her fifth treatment. Right, so very, very, I mean, like, she's on her second week of care. Um, and, and it's just a very simple elbow irritation problem for this patient. And she goes, oh yeah, I'm a little bit better. We had her fill out outcome assessments, which give us an idea of how well she's functioning. And she had insanely good improvements. So we had to show them to her, like, this is what you're saying. She goes, well, I was, Answering them the same way I did, you know, a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, that's that's amazing. I didn't realize I improved that much. Mm-hmm. So sometimes really keeping track of this stuff can really show the differences and, and if somebody is responding. Of course, if somebody's not responding, you know, um, for a dementia care plan, within about the first six weeks, I would say six to eight weeks somewhere in there, you probably should consider discontinuing or changing your strategy or including maybe something else mm-hmm. um, in, in the treatment. I'm not saying give it forever. You know, don't treat right. it for six months and be like, oh, I guess it didn't work. Um, you know, have some goals there, but do give it enough time. And, and also, don't shy away from effective home devices. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, a, a device like this one I don't believe is available yet here uh, in the U.S., but it might be available in other areas. Uh, there are some other devices out there that might work. Do be cautious. Make sure that you verify how well these devices work. Make sure they've been included in studies like these. Make sure that it's not just the manufacturer's uh, claims as far as you know, power and specifications go. Because there's a lot of devices out there that are much cheaper and deliver almost no light. They're really worthless. But for the effective units, don't shy away from maybe sending a patient home with one. We got a comment that says, I think laser might be more convenient. Absolutely more convenient for a clinician, that's for sure. Especially if you're keeping track of this patient. Right. So what we often see um, uh, in, in practicing with LTI protocols is we will treat these people maybe three times a week. It's really not that inconvenient. Um, and they do make very, very good improvements. If you could also include an at-home device, especially for the maintenance, you know, once you get that improvement, that's probably a great idea too. Um, but that, exactly like you said at the beginning, we like lasers for clinicians because you have so many options. You can take the same device you use for lateral epicondylitis on the elbow and turn around and use it effectively on the brain and then turn around and use it effectively for wound healing. There's just so much flexibility. Whereas, you know, at home, like this is great, but very limited. Very limited. That's all you're going to really use it for right. is brain care. Right. 
if you have questions, if you have comments, if you want to reach out to us with something you might know about this device, uh, please do. You can email us, info at lasertherapyinstitute.org. If you want to find a laser therapy provider uh, for your patients, maybe that are in other states or elsewhere, go to our website. Also, we have a clinic locator. You'll be able to find a laser therapy provider near you. If you are a laser therapy provider and you want to be on our map, there is a way you can add yourself to our map for free encourage you to go and do that. And if you want to know more about how to use laser therapy effectively, how to set up your program so that you can help patients with results like this, how to get the settings correct, the parameters on your light device correct, let us know. That is the thing we do. We provide training, we provide settings, we provide protocols, all for clinicians who are using light and laser therapies in office. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. In a couple weeks. Sounds good. Subscribe now to keep learning about the growing field of laser therapy. Check out our patient-focused podcast, Healing at the Speed of Light, a great resource for your patients. For massive practice growth and improved patient outcomes, become a certified Laser Therapy Institute clinic. Learn how at lasertherapyinstitute.org.